0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link
1: in the show description to support now.
0: This is Eating Crow with Pete Durand. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Eating Crow podcast. I am your infallible flappable in. Average host Pete Durand. I'm here with Don Manning, and Don, you know, we were connected by another guest of mine, actually. That's right, Chris Granger, who we both think think very highly of. And, and when we got done speaking, he said, "Pete, I got a guy you got to meet," and I'm glad he made the connection. Don, I'll do a brief introduction. You're a, a, a talented businessman, a father of many kids, which we'll talk about in a minute as well. Husband, very active in your church, uh, so you you kind of live your faith. We'll talk about how you balance all of those in an ever-changing world, which we'll get into. But Don, why don't you start off by telling us, where the heck do you live?
1: Well, I'm in the big metropolis of Argyle, Texas. Argyle, Texas is, uh, so if anybody knows the Dallas-Fort Worth area, uh, just Denton is at the top of Dallas and Fort Worth, a little town called Denton, Texas, and then Argyle's a, a little community outside of Denton. And so where I've lived all my life, I was uh, lived within uh, really about 20 miles of my birthplace for my entire 58 years on this earth, it has been deeply rooted here in the northern DFW area.
0: Okay, got it. Everything's bigger in Texas for sure, but you have family everywhere now. Your your kids have kind of up in Vanmoost, right?
1: Well, so yeah, I have seven kids. An interesting story: so I have four girls and then three boys. My oldest daughter stayed local, always has, but then the next three went to Texas A and M. Involved there in a church. Yeah, some people may have heard of it. The church is called Antioch. It was based out of Baylor, but they have a lot of locations around the country and around the world, and they plant churches really, really well. And so my daughters followed a pastor up to Fayetteville, Arkansas, and uh, to the University of Arkansas. So now I have five of my kids. So the second, third, and fourth daughters and the first and second sons are in Arkansas now. We just sent the last one there a few weeks ago. And then I, we've got one left at home, at sophomore in high school. So we go Thirty-three to sixteen, four girls and then three boys, and two of them here and five of them in Fayetteville.
0: How long of I drive to Fayetteville from where you are?
1: It's about five and a half hours. Basically, just you, when when we go up there, we got to stay like uh got to stay for a few days because it, it's a pretty good. It's, it's it's a good drive, but it's it's a long drive, but not too bad.
0: Well, and you've got plenty of people to see when you get up there. So a few days isn't a big deal because you've got places to put your head.
1: Yes. And Fayetteville is just a, that whole Northwest Arkansas area is beautiful. It's, um, you know, it's very different than Dallas, Fort Worth. So we really enjoy, everybody asks us when we're moving there. I mean, I don't know if we ever will. We're really Texans to the heart, but um, we certainly enjoy going up to Northwest Arkansas.
0: It's interesting when we, when we both talked about our families and, you know, I'm, I'm, not far off. I'm I'm 29 to to 20 in, in age gap, and my daughter lives a couple hours away with our first grandson. So we're in the car frequently, <laughs> trying to see all of them. This actually gets into what you know, which, which is part of your mission, which we're going to talk about. But you have this this program called Crazy Cool Family. Why don't you help our listeners understand what it is and how it got started?
1: Well, you know. I- Pre-podcast, Pete, we were talking about that that family balance is just this kind of misnomer. It's more of a family blending, right? Right. And uh, I really think that's a great term you use to to help people with that. Now, that's kind of how it evolved for me over time. You know, probably I I do my parenting in decades because, you know, I'm on my fourth decade of raising kids. And, you know, the first decade, we were just trying to figure it out. You know, I don't know about you, but I just felt like... had a lot of kids coming at me. I didn't know really, I'd never been a dad before. And it's like, you know, and we were, you know, starting to get involved with our church and, and really it was all about, uh, it felt like that parenting, what I was learning was, is that it was all about, you know, making our kids be obedient. It was all about how they performed, you know, just all the outside things that were so important. And we just found that that wasn't working for a lot of parents because they were, the kids were like my parents are too they're not any fun they're not they're too hard on us you know they're always critical of everything i do I, I don't like being at home and we're like we don't want that kind of family i want to be connected with my kids i want to have my kids love each other and get along and all those things that we we really want to see happen and we were you know learning some things from our christian studies from our church and things like that and and we just thought man what if we just pursue relationships with our kids what if we Really uh, focus less on the outside, more on the inside. And um, over time, I mean, I'm talking decades here. You know, I mean, you're talking about the first decade versus the second decade. During that second decade, you know, my kids are becoming, my girls are becoming teenagers. And we're like, hey, and we really just shifted in our not totally abandoning the, you know, the performance things, but moving more towards what if we connected with them? What if we just really drilled down with them? And um, man, we found over those years, they really responded. They responded to parents that were after their heart rather than after what they always tell them what they did wrong. Cause I mean, I don't know about you, P, but I'm a teacher at heart. And so if they got something wrong, I would tell them about it. And if they got something wrong again, I would tell them about it again, you know, but why? Because I wanted them to get it right. I mean, I had good intentions, but it was actually, but you know, but what I found was, is that when I moved over into, trying to motivate them internally, just help them to see see what I was saying rather than just tell it to them. they responded they, it became they owned it themselves. So that led us to over time people started asking us going, hey what's going on with your kids? you know they're different and we, we were like, hey, what is God showing us And so we started to write down, some things that, we, and all this time, you know, I'm working, I'm coaching sports teams, I'm involved in my church, all the things, you know, just life. We just felt like that one of the things we needed to do was to write it down to pass it on to the next generation, the next generation of parents that were younger than us. And so out of that birthed Crazy Cool Family, which is about helping parents catch a new vision for family, helping them catch a vision of how to connect with their kids rather than to always be pushing their kids and really. When we push our kids, we tend to push them away, and so we want parents to avoid that and so we kind of figured out some curriculum and some some courses and things and we wrote a book eventually to help them to uh cast a new vision for family
0: the very first my episode zero I called for the podcast, I touched on the importance of family and parenting and it was it was a topic I wanted to get into Here we are almost at episode fifty, and this is going to be the first episode where I think we really drill down into this area. It's fascinating to me, so I've, I've got a couple of questions based on how you just described this, so in a sense, your kids were part of building the curriculum. They were not necessarily in the curriculum, right
1: yeah actually when um when we started writing our book in two thousand and sixteen, actually the book was started by my oldest daughter, Molly. She started writing things, and if you when you if people buy the book and buy it on Amazon, Crazy cool family, the kids speak into the book. Because they, you know, we will tell a story and then we'll tell it from the kid's perspective because it helps parents to see. One of the things we want parents to see is we want them to see through the lens of their child and see how things are looking. So, yeah, I would say our kids uh, definitely were a part of things for sure. And uh, but they we, we definitely converse with them and like, what what did we do that was successful? And what did we do that just drove you crazy? And part of that became part of our helping families to have that right vision for family to be successful.
0: So two follow-on questions. First, how much of your early parenting was a result of the way you were parented?
1: Oh, a lot. And it was also a lot of where we got super involved in our church uh, that first decade. I would say it was primarily influenced by the way I was raised, but also by the way we were around a lot of pretty dedicated parents in that world, it was a lot about how you protected your kids, you know, what they watched on TV and didn't, you know, who they spent the night with and just, you know, all the different things to to protect them from the world, so to speak. So there was a lot of that influence too, but I would say it was, it was kind of about half and half.
0: You know, I think this is an important point. As you and I've talked before the podcast, parenting is, it's a delicate balance of being their parent, their friend a disciplinarian, a provider, a guide, a mentor, a coach, all those things are, are important. And, and knowing when to tap into those roles and holding firm to a particular role is important. I know I see this in, in the people I talk with that are struggling as parents. They don't feel like they have any guide or leadership. They look back at their childhood experience. They don't look back on it fondly. And they know they want to be different. So a book like this or the coursework, the podcast is obviously a place they can turn. And you mentioned a couple of these things early. What's your take, the importance of a parent to be able to say no to their child when their heart tells them, I know they really want this and I want to give this to them, but their mind says it's not the right thing. How did you address that with your kids? And how did you have that discussion with them about, you know, those times where I need to say no and you may not understand, but I've got to do this. How did you balance that?
1: So I think that there's so many ways that, you know, I think a lot of parents, Default to no immediately because one it's inconvenient. Two, uh, we're we're scared, and so I think one of the things I tell parents a lot, and, and that we tell parents, my wife Suzanne and I are really together in the ministry. We say, let's look through the lens of inconvenience and fear first, and make sure that that's not why we're saying no. Let's let's say that my grandson's over here, who's three years old, and he wants to play with a toy. Well, you know, I may not want him to get it out because it's going to be super inconvenient for me. Well, I need to balance that between the desires of that child and what's best for them. So a lot of times I think we say no out of inconvenience. The other thing I think we say no of is about a fear is that we're fear something's going to get hurt. And I I just remember doing that a lot as a parent and having to overcome those fears. So once we get through that filter and we say, okay, it's it's not because of my convenience it's not because of my fear it really is something i need to say no to then i think it's a matter of how you present it to the child for example my wife will talk about uh, i think this is brilliant she says what if we create a culture of yes and we are shooting for yes all the time but knowing we have to say no and it just influences everything you do because let's say for example your kid comes to you and says and they're you know they're in 5th grade or whatever and they say hey dad you know hey mom dad whatever it is. Can I spend the night with, you know, whoever? The idea is tonight's not going to work, but it's not that we will never spend the night with the friend. So Suzanne would say something to that child, Mike, well, yes, sure you can, but not tonight. And let's figure out, okay, tonight's not going to work, but let's figure out a way that we can spend the night with Joey, you know, whenever. And so now the child leaves with not just a no, it looks, they leave with hope.
0: So let me drill down there, Don. My wife and I have always had interesting discussions about, you know, sleepovers at various ages in their in their life, right? Let's say, for example, as a parent, your radar's up, and Joey comes to you and says, "I want to sleep over at Johnny's house," and you know Johnny's not a good little kid. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that one?
1: Well, again, I think one, I think you don't do it. I mean, there there is a lot of things I think that happen. Like, for example, again, how could you tell the child, you know, one? is it just going to be Johnny or is there going to be somebody else? Maybe you could get to where you kind of to, Hey, what if we got, you know, your friend, you know, Adam to go with you? What if we, okay, I want you to spend, I want you to go to that party. I want you to go over there with him. but I just think you ought to come home that night. And, you know, just the trying to, again, we're not saying no, we're trying to figure out it. Cause I mean, you know, we're trying to figure out a pathway that works. And then people say, oh, that's hard. But I mean, hard is good parenting so many, so often.
0: Hey, there you go. That's what I was getting at. Parenting is hard. It's a lot of micro decisions. And I think where a lot of parents lose, and you said this right at the beginning, parenting goes by the wayside when it's no longer convenient, right? They take the easy way out. They don't make the tough decisions because it's just hard. And you know, we've had this, and by the way, I'm going to assume for a second, Don, and give you a way out here because I asked a fairly pointed question. If you're raising kids of joy who are in Christ, you hope they're gravitating towards other kids like that, correct?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So you may not be often in a situation where you just don't think Johnny's a good place for him to be. But when kids are maybe potentially at a new school, and by the way, my wife's radar, I've never seen it not be accurate, right? If she says, eh, I'm not so sure, I'll listen. And what we discovered with our kids, all three of them very different over various times, is there were times they were hoping we said no.
1: Right. Yeah. And, you know, that's a great point, Pete, is, you know, uh, we, we tell our kids a lot. And I think it's so cool that you're saying this. Hey, we will always be the bad guy. Yes. That's just one of those, man, that's worth the price of admission to the podcast right here, is that if you get that as a parent, you tell your kids no matter what situation you're in, I don't care if you do something wrong. I will always be the bad guy and I will always come get you. And no matter what, I will drop, if you're in trouble or you feel like you're in a bad situation or anything's going on that you don't like, you have me call you and say, hey, I got to go home. My parents are making me go home. And that could do You guys do that as well, I'm assuming.
0: We did the exact same thing. And I can tell you, all three of my kids probably pulled that ripcord at least twice. Really? Yep. And we picked them up with no questions asked.
1: Yeah. Well, and you know what? And going a little bit deeper with that, not just that, but all the things we've been talking about. So, you know, what I learned in that second decade of parenting is that parenting is all, you said it's hard. It is, but it's also all about relationship. And what we tend to do is going back to your no, when we tend to just say no, and then it becomes a bitter struggle embitter our children. I mean, literally parents are embittering their children instead of turning that situation into a way that you can connect with their heart. You know, let's say, for example, sometimes, all right, let's talk about no still. Sometimes you can ask them questions. Hey, do you think it's a good idea that you go do that? Well, yeah, I do. Because why do you think that's a good idea? What do you think you're going to get out of it? And we've had situations where we've talked to our kid about a situation. By the end of the conversation, they're like, I don't think I want to go. Oh, really? And by that time, it's their idea. And they have, they have made the no for you.
0: You know, sometimes just presenting them with possible outcomes through questions is a really good way to get them to go. And I hadn't really thought about that. And sometimes they don't want to maybe clue you in at that particular time that you're right.
1: Yeah, because I mean, but, but sometimes, you know. A child, and again, they're kids I mean, they may not know sometimes, and it's not saying that you know this is just something we do all the time, but but I think it's about having the conversation you know wh- why do you want to spend the night with them, or why do you want to go to that function? what's your purpose? How are you going to have fun there? Plus, you get to know the kid
0: there you go, and I think this gets back to the intentionality of being a parent today, with you know iPads and screens and phones, you can go to any social event, any public place, and see parents who are just parenting their kids through a screen. Right. Our kids were never allowed to have a TV or a computer in their bedroom ever.
1: Mm, That's good. And people
0: said, why? I said, well, because it's easy for me not to pay attention because they're occupied. They're occupied, but they're not engaged. And by the way, you don't know what they're watching, who they're talking to. And if you think you do, you're nuts.
1: And, you know, and on the flip side of this, and I think that so often we get into, well, you know, Peter's family did this, so I've got to do this. I mean, on the flip side. We were pretty free with technology. It was just not something that we, for better or worse, it's the way we did it. I don't know that it was right. I'm not claiming it to be right. However, we talked about technology a lot with our kids. So we took a little bit different approach, maybe, you know, in terms of we did allow them to have things in their rooms. So and my wife did this, Suzanne did this really well. Hey, tell me about that. What is TikTok? How do you use TikTok? What do you do with that? You know, and she would just explore with them, and I have two to some extent, or maybe a TV show that they wanted to watch, and we'd watch it with them. Yeah, you know, so that we got to know things and things. So, uh, what I'm trying to say in that is, man, listen to the Lord. What's He telling you? Different families have different disciplines. They have different interests, different methods. But I think what Pete and I are sharing with you is what's going after their heart and being intentional and going being willing to do the hard thing.
0: Yeah, and by the way, if you do engage in technology a little more freely, then it does become a little bit more proactive and intentional. So, you know, our kids, TikTok wasn't a thing when they were when they were little. Facebook was just starting. There were a couple incidents at my daughter's school where Facebook became a very dangerous thing for some people, so she had a early in her age, she just she didn't like it. It bothered her that someone could harm another child through that medium. I don't think she would have worded it that way. Right. But the better, it gave her the creeps.
1: Well, and I think that, you know, one of the reasons we've given freedom is because we felt like our kids would not abuse the freedom. Correct. If you feel like your child is going to abuse the freedom, you know, we talk about a lot in our family and in our ministry about how uh, with responsibility comes freedom. And so if you're going to show me you can handle the freedom, I want to give you as much freedom as I can.
0: No question about it.
1: And so part, part of that deals with, you know, some people, oh, well, I don't trust my kid. Well, do you, how do you know if you can trust your kid or
0: not? By the way, that's an awful place to be if you say you don't trust your kid. Right, right, right. That's a horrible place to be because it's hard to get back from that. For us, it wasn't necessarily the technology that, in fact, I know it wasn't. It wasn't the technology. I wasn't worried about what my kids would choose to watch. I wasn't worried about what they would choose, the games they would choose to play. For us, it was all three of my kids were very, very active in sports. So dinner could have been at any given time of the night with one of us or all of us there, depending on a schedule. Right. When we talked about not giving them com- computers in their rooms or TVs in their rooms, we said, when you do your homework, and by the way, this was up till a certain age. When our kids got into their older high school age, go do homework in a room, do whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. But. My wife would have them do their homework at the kitchen table in front of her, and then she could communicate with them and interact with them and find out how their day was. And she was concerned that if if one of them disappeared for an hour or two in their room, she would kind of... It wasn't that she was helicoptering. In fact, it was the exact opposite. Like you said, with, with responsibility comes a lot of freedom. Do your homework. But she got to learn and interact with them, especially since I was working quite a bit. Right. When I got home, I didn't want my three kids in their bedrooms. Right. Watching TV. We wanted to be eating dinner as a family. After dinner, have some time together, do whatever. So I think all of them got a phone. You know, Well, first of all, they all got a phone when they were, started doing travel sports and needed to be picked up or do whatever. And then eventually, and I think they got to high school, they all got a, a smartphone, right? So they could do other things and have apps. But for us, it was more about just making sure we didn't default to, oh, they're fine because they're in another room. And I had a podcast guest, one of my first podcasts, I'll share this with you was, it was a, to your point, it was a really pointed, interesting moment. He was talking about his, his son and his daughter when he started working from home. And he said, one day I'm working on a project and I noticed it was quiet. It had been quiet for a long time. And both my kids were in their bedrooms with the door shut. My son, he knew he was playing a video game and my daughter was watching TV. He goes, they hadn't talked, they hadn't interacted with anybody. They were just in there. And I said to myself, it's not good. Mm -hmm. I need to interact with my kids. I need to go do something right now. So he goes, I, I knocked on both of their doors and said, would you guys like to go for a hike? And they kind of went and said, let's go. So they literally went out and hiked for about an hour and a half and had an incredible time. And I said, Rich, here's what's interesting about what you did there. First of all, you did what a lot of parents don't do. You recognized it, right? You could go. Right, exactly. The fact that you said, this isn't right, right? That's not how this is supposed to work. But then the second thing you did is you got off your butt and went and did something about it.
1: (laughs) Right. Exactly. So
0: those two things, Rich. You've identified the secret of parenting, which is being intentional and being engaged.
1: Well, and also he risked rejection. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, so often, I mean, I feel like that I try to get engaged my boys or, you know, whatever it is. And it just doesn't, you know, that they're busy or whatever it is. And then I feel rejected. Well, you know. There's, he risked the rejection of going in there and saying, hey, let's go on a hike. Let's take you away from technology yeah. and let's go for a hike. It's a big deal.
0: So let's shift gears here. You've got seven kids. You've got a job, your husband, you're, you're trying to provide for your family. Were there any particular points in time where you felt like you know, these spinning plates, faith, family, finance, friends, community, where any one of them kind of started to to, to wobble and you had to go address it more than the other ones?
1: When did they not? It's maybe a better question. (laughs) It is. One of the things that I feel like in life is I've always been blessed with a lot of energy. So, uh, and I, I think that people really need to find their own rhythms and, you know, because some people have, you know, great energy, some people not as much, some people are introverted, some people are extroverted. You know, what is it about you that, but for, so for me, I love people. I have a lot of energy. It was good for me to have a lot. I'm an, I'm an achiever at heart, uh, sometimes to my detriment, but, um, that's how my, you know, Enneagram, I'm a three. I'm a, you know, I'm a doer. I'm an achiever. I've always been like that, but, but yet have felt a lot that I have got too many things going. And then I, I don't know about you, but I feel really bad when I let people down. Sure. So that's caused a lot of stress in my life of just having a lot of things going on feeling like I have too much going on and then letting feeling like I'm not doing enough to get things going so what solved that for me over again I'm I'm relating back to when I was a you know again first decade second decade of of family and parenting is learning about the grace of God I was always in that performance mode of I had to please God and please others and if I didn't they wouldn't like me, either God or the people. And once I, you know, I remember many years ago, uh, one of my mentors gave me a cassette tape on grace and cassette tape will date me. I'm sure as as I'm sure But And it was about this. It was a guy by a guy named John Lynch who wrote a book called True Faced, which is a fascinating book. He called it the New Testament Gamble. He said, what if God just loved you anyway? What if God just said, no matter what you do, I'm going to love you. I'm going to be there for you. I created you. You're amazing. And I love you. And no one had ever really told me that. When I learned what, what now the word we use in Christian circles is identity. And what I learned is, is that when my identity that I'm no longer in Christ, I'm no longer an orphan, I'm a child of the King. And nothing can change my stature as a child of the King. That's what Romans 8 tells us. And so, when I learned that, when I started to, when as I've learned that over the next two decades, as uh, it has given me so much of a confidence in who I am and what I'm called to do, and it's helped me to one, not have to have so many plates spinning, and two, be okay when the plates fall off, which seems like a lot. Does that make sense?
0: It does. I interpret that verse, and I interpret the purpose of the book to the same way I look at my children, which is unconditional love. Yeah. I want to pass that same lesson to my kids and they all know that. And And I think my youngest son, for example, plays college soccer. And if he didn't get enough playing time in a game, he would feel like he'd let my wife and I down if we went to the game. Mm-hmm. Literally, we would say, Sam, you got to recognize that. I don't care if you play a second in this game. If you're finding joy being on this team and he does, loves his teammates, love the school, love everything. We don't measure your impact in our family by your playing time. Right? Right. It's unconditional love. We're here no matter what you do. It's funny because when I hear that verse, it doesn't mean you can go out and intentionally screw up and assume that we're going to forgive you and let it all start over again the next day. The word intentional is very important there, right? It means when we make mistakes and we fall and we trip and we drop the plate, we're here to help you. And hopefully we've we've shaped that behavior where you recognize it's not a free hall pass. It's just unconditional love. It's very different.
1: Well, and I think that society and and even if you're you know if you're a Christian, then the enemy all wants to make us think that we are not enough. Right. And and I think I have definitely dealt with that in my life of um, feeling like I'm not enough for my wife, or not enough for my kids, or I should make more money, or whatever it is. And you know, for me, one of the things that really helps me with that too is really feel like I hear God's voice and and get His direction for my life. Again, going back to that first decade of parenting, I've got a bunch of kids and and I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to make my mark in the world. Am I going to start a business? Am I going to, you know, I was working my way towards being a chief financial officer. I was kind of where my business, I, I made that eventually, made that goal eventually. And was I going to run for school board or was I going to, you know, start a ministry at the church or whatever it was that I was going to do? I wanted to make my mark in the world. It felt like nothing was working. Nothing was going forward, and I remember sitting at my desk, spending time with God, and and saying, "God, what is it that you want me to do?" I don't feel like it, that anything's working. People say, "Can you hear God's voice?" And, and and I say, "Yes, that it's a it's a it's a sense inside of you that's that goes mostly against what you think you should do to what you really should do." Sure. And uh, I just thought the Lord said, "He said, Don, I'm not in any of that." And I said, well, that's great. God, maybe you could tell me what you are into. And so I could follow that because I'm f- pretty frustrated right now. Right. And he goes, uh, he goes, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go deep with me. I want you to go deep with your family, deep with your wife, watch what I do, and then tell people about it. And It was just like a revelation at that point. And so I said, wow, I had, I had a lot of daughters at the time. I was like, you know, man, I'm going to play a lot of Barbies and this doesn't <laughs> seem like it's going to be that fun. I mean, seriously, I mean, it's uh, that's why I put them in basketball because I was like, at least I can have something sports-wise. Sure. But that's what I did. You know, I just, I let go of some things. I made sure my career was uh, in line with my family goals, which means that I turned down some things that, you know, could have been more advantageous financially or career-wise Started really just investing more and, like you say, blending family into work. I wound up leaving my CFO job. I bought a business because I felt like the Lord said I was supposed to do something more locally. I was working in Dallas. I needed to be more at my home, which was, you know, 40 minutes away in this Argyle, you know, Denton, Flower Mound, Denton County area. I think those are some things that I did that helped me not to feel the out of controlness that some men feel at different stages of life.
0: Sure. I'm going to dovetail off of that right now for parents, men or women that are listening to this right now, if they're wondering how to start that process, because you said something very interesting. You had a conversation with God and then God said, Hey, just double down on me and your family and watch what happens and then share it with other people. So that's a separate discussion altogether. That's how the crazy cool family got started, but doubling down on God and your family. Are there specific daily practices that you use that helped center you and keep you in the spirit that allowed you to do that? What actions did you take as a husband and a father to double down on God and your family?
1: That's a great question. I think it brings to mind so many things. Uh, one of them is is uh, we've stayed involved in a local church. You know, we've been in the same local church since our first year of marriage. So thirty years, same church. And baptized all seven of my kids here. It's been a real rock in my life, and had huge influence. You know that we've that our churches had two pastors, one for seventeen years and one for about twelve or thirteen, and both of them uh, have been huge impacts in my life. So that's one thing I always tell people, parents, to um, you know, God created the local church. Get involved in it and get, you know, and and be be okay that it's going to be messy sometimes because people are messy and churches are messy, yes. but just the local church is good. Get in there and serve and love people. That also leads to uh, godly relationships. I've got friends that I've had, uh, you know, I've got an accountability group, two guys that we've, we've been together since we were in our 20s. I just had a mentor die last year, was my mentor for 20 twenty. One years, you know, I was talking to a group of men the other day, and I just said, "Hey, take charge of your own discipleship. Go find your mentors. Go find people to invest in you. They will if you ask them." So, just godly relationships uh, in both mentors and investing in others. I think as a teacher, you learn a whole lot when you're the, you know, when you're the Paul, yeah. and and you're investing in the Timothy, and then just the daily practices of spending time with God, waking up and just giving your heart to God every day. I, I still struggle. You know, even today, I was like, in my time with the Lord, I was like, Lord, I want your presence to be here all day long, because I just tend to forget God throughout the day. But mm-hmm. it just, it, it's like my pastor says, he says, we need a daily infilling of the Holy Spirit because we leak.
0: That's a great quote.
1: And so I think there's, so those are three things that I think of as church, godly relationships, and just, you know, the daily practices of of going back to God and filling getting filled up.
0: So all three of those uh influence each other. We have many groups of friends here in the Raleigh area, very blessed. And some of our closest friends we met through church and it's been that relationship's been built over the last twenty years. And it's a blessing to gather with them weekly. What's amazing is when we look back and watch how our children grew up together. You know, there's nuances. But if we're all in the same place with God, that's a really good place to start as friends, as parents, because you know, the most important aspects of your life are aligned. I have about four or five guys that I would call my accountability partners. We're not afraid to call each other out, but man, they're just such great examples of men who have the Holy Spirit. And it's an honor to be their friends. And it forces me to up my game. If that makes any sense.
1: Well, I think that when, you know, like my mentor I had, I would meet with him maybe once a month. A crazy story if, if you know how it happened. I was in a business deal in Dallas. I was a chief financial officer of a startup company and he was raising capital. He was he was gonna help us raise some capital. And um the company was a disaster, actually. I didn't know that at the time. I was a young CFO and never raised money before, but he came in and but I just really connected with him and I said, um, Basically, I, I asked him to go to lunch. Again, take charge of your own discipleship is what I tell a lot of people. Is, uh, I went to lunch with him, and I said, uh, hey, he wasn't going to invest in our company. And, and, and I'll tell you that story in a minute. But he just said, he goes, um, I said, would you be my friend, basically? Would you mentor me? He was 10 years older than me. And he said, absolutely. And the first thing I'm going to tell you is, is don't walk away from that company. Run away from that company. It's a disaster. And uh, he's never going to get his product to market. And you're never going to, I didn't. And so I I wound up listening to him a couple of months later, but we started a relationship. At first, I thought it was going to be a business mentoring relationship. He was going to show me how to do business. Uh, But it it turned out we never talked about business. And then about four years into the relationship, his name's John Payne. And John tells me he has ALS. And so John spent the next 17 years battling ALS uh, to win when I... The last time I met with him, you know, he was in a wheelchair, respirator, and yet what happened was it, it, they wrote a book about him actually called "The Luckiest Man." If you look up in Amazon, "The Luckiest Man" by John Payne, it's a journey to intimacy with God. And I didn't know what this relationship was going to be, but it became John is is maybe the best Christian I've ever seen in my life because as God took as as ALS, I should say, took everything away from him physically. He became more and more in tune with the Holy Spirit, more and more in tune with God. He got up every day and came to the office, took his caretakers three hours to get him into the office at, in the latter stages of his life, and yet he just I learned more from that guy, just meeting with him once a month than probably anybody I've ever met in my life. I mean, so what would have happened if I never asked him that question?
0: I think the richness we have in our lives is more on relationships than it has anything to do with money. Just doing this podcast meeting people like you, Don, and the other people I've had in the show, I just get to sit here and talk to fascinating people for an hour. And then a lot of them develop into longer term friendships where we learn from each other. We share stories. I can't imagine what he went through and the experience he gave you by being part of it. My, my brother-in-law died after a nine-year battle of ALS. I think we talked about this.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: One of the greatest, kindest men I've ever met. And uh, when you see that, And you see how they they process what can be a very very trying time, and then still shed joy around themselves. It's just it's incredible. It's also a tremendous amount of perspective, right? You've seen someone who's had everything taken away, but still finds in ways to deepen their relationship with God. I mean, if you wake up in the morning and need a goal, (laughs) there you go, (laughs) right? Yeah. So,
1: and what was and what was wild about him too is that. Financially, he became, you know, he did better financially in those 17 years than he did the previous 17. I mean, you were talking about how do you keep the the plates from spinning and falling off? What he learned as everything was taken away from him, he could have gotten bitter, as I'm sure your brother could have. Instead, he flipped it into God. He had to go deeper with God and the deeper he went with God, the more peace, the more love, the more joy he had, even though his circumstances were getting worse and worse and worse physically
0: shift here's to the last part of the show and that is let's go back to crazy cool family and the reason I I I started there and want to end there is it kind of sets the stage for how you've put all this together. So tell us when it started and where it is today.
1: Started probably 15 years ago, 12 to 15 years ago. I don't remember the exact year, but I really felt like as we got later in our parenting, we started to see our kids really respond. We started to learn some things. I really felt like the Lord continued that message to me to write it down. And so I just started to jot down some principles that we had learned. And I just thought, the Lord said, take what you've learned over time and try to package it. I remember thinking, I wish someone would write me a playbook for family, a a playbook for Christian family. And and really, it's really that vision for Christian family. and, And because, you know, our pastor says that vision's like guardrails. It tells you what to put in the road and what to leave off the road. Yeah. Leave on the side of the road, if you will. And I think that because I saw that a lot, it's not that parents weren't working hard; they were working hard at some of the wrong things. And so I started to write down what I felt like were the right things, what I felt like the Lord had shown us, and and it led to us leading a class at our church. You know, just a twelve week class. We called it at the time "Heart Connected Family" because that's what our goal was: is to connect with the heart of your kids. And uh, that we so we did that for many many years. And um, probably 2015 or so, I never will forget, I was, I was at a, we were counseling a couple at church and uh, one of the other elders was with me and they go, man, you have got to write a book. And I was like, I have no, there's no way I can write a book. I mean, I got, I got seven kids. I've got a full-time job. I'm in the real estate business now. I've gone from being a CFO to being a real estate investor. And, you know, I've owned my own business for a while or whatever. I'm like, there's just, I got no capacity to write a book. Well, so I just started praying about it. I said, God, if you know, if, I, if we're supposed to go forward with this ministry, I'm going to have to have some capacity. Well, the guy I work with in real estate business that I have for the last 15 years, we've known each other. He's one of those accountability partners. We've known each other since we were seven years old, and I had kind of started running his companies uh, in the Denton County area. He came back to me and said in 2016, he says, "Hey." I'd kind of retired him. We we did deals together and stuff, but I had totally taken over all his businesses. He said, Hey, I want to get back in my business and I don't want to be quote unquote retired anymore. I'd like to come back. And he kind of felt bad about it because he thought, I said, well, that's the Lord talking because I'm supposed to, I want to go part time. I want to do something different. I don't want to run your businesses anymore. And so we worked it out where, um, for the first time in my life, I had capacity, you know, I had a little bit, a few hours a day of capacity. So I just went out to my barn. I have this kind of man cave barn in my backyard and uh, I just started a big old whiteboard out there and I just started writing stuff down about, you know, how we wanted to hone our message, how I wanted to write that playbook. I spent about a year doing that and I hired an author and uh, he helped me to write what's now the book, Crazy Cool Family. And so that took us about a year and a half before we finally got it ready to publish. So it was a great effort, but it did two things. One of them, we have a book. But the second thing is it really it, it really helped us to hone our message of how to do Christian family vision. In 2018, everybody said, hey, when, when are you going to do your book tour? Well, I said, never, because we never did this to travel around and be famous. We just did it to put it down so we could teach others. We started our podcast at that time. So we're in our fourth year of the podcast. And that's super topical. We just do a lot of different things with that. But we started asking parents, you know, young parents, hey, what should we do with this book now? What should we do? They said, hey, you need to create videos. You need to create courses. We need Because the young people of today watch video and listen to audio. And so that's one of the reasons we started the podcast as well. So we started looking at, you know, different things. And I started looking at different technological options. I really came down to uh, I love the idea of a membership site. Because we could put, you know, courses are good, but courses are finite. We wanted something that, I mean, you know, Pete, family is not something you learn a weekend. It's not something you learn by reading a book. It's something you learn over a decade. It's something you learn over, you know, over time. And so we wanted to stay with people. And I felt like a membership site could do that. We started off by doing it like 15 bucks a month membership site. So we did that. We formed it all. We put all of our core courses on there and everything. The membership's called Basecamp. You can go to basecamp.crazycoolfamily.com and sign up. But what we did differently, and, and right now it's free. Last year uh, we sold it, you know, got hundreds of people involved, and uh, but just felt like that last year again. I felt like I was talking to the Lord, and He said, "Make it free." And I was like, "No, that's not the answer." Because I, you know, now we're a five hundred one c three, we run off donations and all that. I just felt like uh, that we were supposed to give it away. We started doing that last year. So we go into churches, we do it online, we go into different organizations, and we have this membership site called Basecamp, and we, it's a, we have core courses in there that help you create your family vision, and then a lot of what I would call ancillary material that supports that vision and, and gives you, it's about creating vision and putting tools in there. So we've had that out for free for about a year, and uh, we just have thousands of pe- families in it. And uh, we minister to them all we can, either either through social media and through Facebook and emails and things, or through churches and organizations, things like that.
0: So I'll put in the show notes, I'll put how folks can, I'll put the URLs into Basecamp and, and help them find you so they can learn more about it. Yep. What's new for you in the work world? Are you still in the real estate business or are you, are you in Crazy Cool Family full-time?
1: So... Great question. So in this summer, I have some business interests that I've had. You know, I I um, own a couple of childcare centers that I bought over the last few years. We're actually I'm in a part of a group that's building a hotel in my hometown wow. right now in an iconic building uh, in downtown Denton. But for the uh, last year, and again, you know, the Lord sp- felt like that. You know, the Lord was telling us, "Hey, uh, it's time to exit your your job with with Scott Brown, my my buddy that I've worked with for." Fifteen years, and so literally this summer, um, I left the company. We're on great terms. I mean, we both agreed it was time. But now, for the first time since I was, um, I guess you know, twenty-two years old, I don't have a job. And I say that I was talking to a guy today, and he's like, "I don't have a job, and I am busier than I ever been because I really am devoting myself full time to Crazy Cool Family." That's awesome. So we are. So we're starting that journey. I am learning different rhythms now. You know, I am. My wife's about ready to kick me out of the house already. But actually, that's even been better. We thought it was going to be rough. We've actually, it's actually done really well. Uh, It's literally been about two months since I've started this. So, yeah, just finding some new rhythms, depending more, you know, for the first time, you know, depending on the ministry for some of my income. So, if anybody wants to help, you can go to (laughs) slash donate. (laughs) I'm I'm now raising funds, not only for myself, but to expand the ministry. We really are on an expansion mode. Uh, We just keep getting. You know, we literally get hundreds of people sign up for base camp a month. So we have to take care of those people. We are working through that. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of transition going on right now.
0: Well, Don, that's a great way to end it. You made, you've jumped the shark. Now you're full-time into a nonprofit uh, with an incredible cause. And I enjoyed hearing how you've had various conversations with the Lord at various different times in your life. And you heard him clearly. Maybe you didn't want to listen at first. <laughs> right, exactly. But, but you heard him and, and followed the path. So, hats off to you and your wife and your wonderful kids, and, and thank you for sharing your story and, and writing it down, so that you were inspired to share it with others. Because I, I think this is an area that our our world and our country need help in, and that's and that's parenting and raising kids that are uh, are are what our world needs. So, thank you for doing this, and thank you for joining you. Crow.
1: Absolutely. You know, I'll just leave it real quick with um for those parents you know, go to base camp. Don't, don't try to work harder at parenting. Work differently. Find your vision and uh, and learn about parenting. Learn about family so you can do it better. And you will find that, you know, Jesus said at the end of Matthew 11, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I got seven kids. Parenting's the easiest thing I do every day because we learn how to parent versus keep spinning that wheel. So encourage you, to whatever resource you use, we'd love you to use ours. But uh, whatever resource you go learn how to parent because it'll benefit you and your family
0: so much. It gives you the opportunity to have wonderful relationships with your children when they're older too.
1: Absolutely, yeah, we create our own friends, don't we? It's
0: a great investment. You got it. <laughs> we do. Don, thanks again. I'm going to hit uh, pause here for a second. We'll uh, we'll do a little post work. But uh, thanks for joining the show. <laughs> thanks for checking out Eating Crow. Like and subscribe so you never miss a video.